Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Ozzy. And we've seen Queen and Slim, which is a romantic crime thriller movie. Drama. It's beautiful. I liked it. I liked it very much as well. I would say it's an on-the-road film. Okay. That, to me, would be, you know, the primary characteristics to me would be a kind of um, noirish uh, road movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say romance is first and foremost for me. Crime falls into the background. It's about these two characters on the run after a first date that they don't really hit it off. And then uh, they're, they're black. That's important. And they're pulled over as he's driving her home by a cop who really is looking for a bit of a fight. And the situation escalates. He pulls a gun on him. He's played by Daniel Kaluuya. She's played by Jodie Turner-Smith. Mm-hmm. And we're not giving their names uh, for a long time. Uh, not even Queen and Slim. In fact, they're not called Queen and Slim by anyone. I don't think so. Um, it's just the, the title of the film and the credits. He attacks the cop, manages to get his gun off him, and shoots him dead. Mm-hmm. And from then on, they're on the run. Uh, spoilers will be coming up after that, I think. So, I mean, I think there's, for me at least, I think there was supposed to be an element of comedy in there. I think there's an element of these two not getting on and they're pushed together by this situation. Mm. They would realistically have not seen each other again after that night. And of course, they can't now. No, but that's a trope of romantic films that uh, the protagonists begin disliking each other and then circumstances allow them to discover each other and they realise that they found the person... Uh, in their lives. So this operates a little bit like that. And that's an important part of the film. <laughs> it's kind of the darkest meet-cute in cinema history. It is. <laughs> but I think for me the most important thing is that the film feels like a state-of-the-nation statement. Yeah, it feels like a collective expression rather than just merely an individual one. And the fact that it's a road movie for me is central to that. You know, because everywhere you go you discover instances of oppression, of, you know, a racism so dreadful and so structural and so known and so consented to that basically people, black people, don't have a chance. And part of the way that this film is structured is that you see both all of the different kinds of oppression, you know, the jails and so on, um, so it's kind of slave labor, really. You know, their knowledge of what it means to be arrested by a white cop, the various forms of collaboration within the system, but also the only spaces that they find throughout this oppressive America is hidden black spots. Yeah, like, you know. I thought it had a Green Book element, and I don't really mean the film Green Book, but the actual Green Book, the thing yeah. about black-owned businesses and black-friendly spaces yes. in America. I, the film conspicuously starts off with the diner that he takes her to. He says it's black-owned. Yeah. And then you see uh, what is probably a black-owned bar, though you're not told, but it's it's a, it's a hub for the black community where they are. It's all black people and they're playing the blues. And then later they go to a mechanic to get their car fixed, and that's clearly... The black guy who runs it, the yeah. mechanic, it's his own garage. That's right. So it has it has a little bit of a feel of, like you said, a green book, but also one of those uh, railroad, black railroad films, yeah? Underground Railroad. Underground Railroad yeah, films. Yeah, I thought that too. Um, As they jump sort of from safe house to safe house. That's right. In which white people significantly help and black people 
significantly also betray. Yeah. So so I think it's a really it's, at the beginning I thought oh this is not very well filmed. You know I thought I thought it was too dark. I thought the focus wasn't clear. It it kind of grew on me really. You know I grew to appreciate it more and more because there's a real consist consistency of light or rather darkness. It all takes place at night or at dawn or at dusk. Yeah, it has, you know, that feel of the night. You know, there are very few scenes that take place in sunlight. The main one is when they're um, trapped in the house. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought there was more sun like that. I mean, you see them on the road during the day once or twice when they when he uh, rides the horse. Um, That's true. But, but there is a predominant feeling of nighttime or, or dusk yeah as you say I think um, that's true what do you think of the fact that we don't find out these two's names until they die well there's a whole thing about how are you remembered how are you survive what's the place of children and I think it kind of all has to do with kind of black culture in some way um, yeah kind of I, I thought it's a, it's a really half-baked thought but I thought it ha it ha there's something of like they're only given that identity once they're dead, and before that, their ideas mm. or or something like that. I don't know. There's a very famous uh, essay by James Baldwin called "Nobody Knows My Name," you know, and it is about this this thing really already from another time because I think part of an earlier literature is that if if America really knew the extent of you know, racism and oppression and that things would change. Whereas actually now you feel everybody knows and nothing changes. So actually there are kind of different levels of colluding into the system. I mean, my own feeling about it all is if you're voting for Trump and you disapprove of this racism, you're colluding. Yes, either you're agreeing with it or you're colluding, really. But anyway, there's this whole thing about naming and, and renaming and not accepting your slave name and there are all of these things that are very, you know, particular. Uh, I think it's something that kind of makes the end even more tragic. Because um, I think it's already tragic that they die. Although I think it's kind of fated. I mean, yeah, there's no escape. Certainly from the moment that someone refers to them as Bonnie and Clyde, I thought, oh, there's foreshadowing. These guys mm. aren't going to make it to the credits, you know. So yeah. I, I kind of made my peace with that early on. Yes. Um, but I think there's a thing of, like, up until then, they are romantic. And they are, they're not exactly ideal ideals like uh, people kind of make of them what they want and some spaces that they go to uh, black people s salute them almost you yeah. know and kind of think that they, they've made a political statement other places as you say the mechanic really don't approve they find a problem with it they say we've well, given them license to shoot us more now that kind of thing um so it's not about them kind of taking on one kind of ideal persona or, or image but after they die they just become statistics Angela, uh, whatever his name was, Eamon or something, they just, they died. I think and they become more than statistics, they become folk heroes as well. People wear their faces on their t-shirt. Their image they're... remains, but th there's something diminishing, I think, about the fact that they, oh, they're just these guys with names. Well, no, I, th I don't agree uh, in, in relation to that interpretation, because so much is made of, you know, how we'll be remembered, what is the meaning of life, is it just, you know, the whole meaning of life is that you hope somebody remembers you, and actually... Mm. They are remembered, right? So, yes. um, so I think there's some kind of catharsis in that of just, you know, having existed in a way that is remembered. It makes kind of 
their oppression worthwhile. Oppression is not the right word that I'm looking for, actually. Their persecution worthwhile. Mm. Were you moved? Yes, actually. I, I was surprised because, you know, it's. I don't think it's a perfect film. No. Yeah? She's incredibly beautiful, but she's not as alive as he is. You know, he's, he's very charismatic and alive. Do you mean as a performer? She, as a performer, right. yes. I mean, she, I think she works, she's very well cast. Yeah. yeah. And she works very well. And actually her being so tall and so beautiful and him in a way being, you know, shorter than her and kind of ordinary looking. I mean, <laughs> he's very charismatic, but, you know, he's not like a, a beautiful man. Mm. Yeah. Though he does look quite beautiful in some um, angles. But, you know, I think he is meant to be like an average guy, you know, and she is exceptionally beautiful and also like a lawyer and so on. Mm. Right. So I think they work very well together. Uh, but she lacks his ease. You know, you get a sense of a person with him, you know, mm. whereas you don't quite with her, I don't think. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I I, um, I think I liked her more than that. I, okay. I, she felt very I liked she felt her. Very real to me. I, I believed sort of everything about her. Right, that okay. Um, um, although I can see what you mean. I mean, he is exceptionally uh, kind of charismatic, Daniel Kaluuya. Yes, he has he is. such a presence yes, he does. on screen. Anyway, they work very well together. But there were a couple of things that I, I found unconvincing. So, for example, she looks spectacular wearing this meanie, this tiger skin meanie, like, cut right to the waist, practically. And you think, like, it doesn't make any sense. She's been shot in the leg. She's got a huge bandage in the leg. I mean, it's like, do you want to advertise that you're the person who's on the run? <laughs> right? Like, but She just threw that on when they had to leave quickly. No, she went through the clothes. You know, she chose that dress. It didn't make any sense to me that that, that would be the dress. I'm wrong. You know, I'd wear something that would cover it up. I think she just had to find something to fit. Do you imagine there's anything that... that I mean, that, that house was run by a pimp. Do you think any of those clothes cover your Listen, legs? Wearing your wound, you know, when you're being chased and you're in, in camera. I'm saying she didn't have an option. Well, that's not made clear in the film. You're just assuming that. Well, I'm, I'm buying into the film, so sue me. I, mean, I think that's... the costume changes are interesting, though, because, I mean, particularly her, she starts off with this turtleneck that I think really speaks to her kind of tight, close, like, almost uptight nature. She doesn't really want anyone to, to get in. And I think the kind of turtleneck, like, turtlenecks, they have this thing of, like, constantly feeling like you're being throttled by someone very weak. I love them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this. I the... feel like Jean-Paul Sartre in that <laughs> turtleneck. <laughs> She's very closed in in that, and then... You know, because it's it's right up around her neck. You kind of you really feel there's there's something uh, oppressive about that, mm. and, and and closed in. And then she ends up wearing the most skimpy thing she possibly could. Mm. It was kind of interesting. His costume change is into uh, he's wearing he's wearing something very ordinary at the start. It's, I mean, I can hardly remember. It's just sort no, of like jeans and a jacket type thing. And then he winds up in this um, sort of red velvet tracksuit. Mm. I mean, you kind of think like the image. Uh, certainly of him, you imagine that playing out on on like Fox News mm. as such a thug, kind of really feed into sort of what they believe. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. If it was kind of using that idea or, or reconfiguring it or saying something else with it, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I thought the film really touched on every major issue of black oppression. This is why I think it feels like a collective work of expression rather than, you know, the story about two people. Mm. Yeah. And also the collaborations, you know, to have Gail King, is it? 
you know, oh, yeah, Oprah's, off, um, uh, Oprah's producer. CBS News, yeah. right. And Chloe Sevigny, and, you know, it does feel like people almost like, you know, contributing to a moment of U.S. Um, national expression. And then, you know, it covers kind of all of the issues to do with the police, you know, with the mm. Me Too, no, not Me Too. Um, I Can't Breathe. It was Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you know, which is kind of represented. Um, There's a whole range of black music, almost to like give, you know, full expression to different black cultures. Like, you know, there's rap and funk and soul and blues. And I found all of that entrancing. And the characters are on the run and they're nowhere safe, really, you know. So mm. I also thought that was telling. But at least they weren't slaves, like, you know, the man in the work gang, you know, being policed by cops on horseback who are clearly, like, in jail mm. and just like a slave labor, right? I mean, the, the film is full of all of these little... Um, suggestions that speak a culture the references to the black panthers yeah you know and asada shakur yeah so i thought that was all incredible and it is encased in like this this road movie outlaw romance the only thing in a weird way is i wish they would have shot more white people (laughs) like it would have offered a moment of catharsis you know whereas in fact (laughs) they go so out of their way to like make the couple non-violent actually Mm. you know because there's that scene where you know he goes to the gas station thinking he'll hold it up because they need gas money and instead he gives his gun to this white kid yeah that Mm. creates this moment of tension i think it would have provided kind of a moment of release for the audience really you know that was quite early on to be fair i mean i i I wouldn't have believed he had it in him at that point because he's not violent and it is an accident and so on that's um, true, you know. Um, the thing I really didn't believe about that scene, though, was that he would hand the gun over. I mean, I, I mean, thought, that, e- even though he is not too bright, I didn't believe he would believe do it. would be so yeah. stupid. No. Yeah, and actually, that feels phony in the film. Yes, you know, because, and, it, and it has that, it's a cinematic trope of, oh, I'm just fucking with you. He yeah. points a gun at him, oh, I'm oh. just playing. No, nah, I knew that was coming, I didn't believe that scene. Yeah. yeah. I thought the scene with the, with the sheriff who helped them was quite good. I thought the Chloe Sevigny thing was quite good. Yes, the jumpy wife who they go to her husband for help, having been told he's played by Flea from the Red Hot Jelly Peppers. Yeah. But she is pretty much ready to hand them in. And actually, you suspect she made the phone call to the guy with the plane. Oh, I didn't suspect that. Because she didn't know I did. Well, she didn't know exactly. She didn't how, know did, be- how did how did the, um, the guy who picks them up and takes them to the seaplane, how did he know that? That what? That they would be there and so on. Wasn't he the person they were meant to get in touch with? Yes, but he's the one who then sorted out, we're going to meet the guy at the plane, and obviously at some point he's arranged. Maybe even the phone call was to the cops and it was a fake yes. phone call. I, I believe it was him rather than her. Um, okay. And I think well, the that reason, kind of makes sense. I and I think know. the reason that the cops showed up at her house, Chloe Savini's house, was because you see right when they pull up, there's someone across the road watching. Watching, yeah, yeah. yeah I so saw that. that. Uh, that was telegraphed quite yeah. directly. Yes. Um, what faults do you find with it? Um, it felt a little slow to me at points. I think my attention started to wander once or twice, but actually, I I think it's kind of it was a price worth paying for the tone and the mood that was mm. set. I liked the the I liked the length of it, and I I did like the slowness of it, and I think 
it gave you real time to breathe mm. with these characters and I think it helps it helps you believe in the the length of time that the film feels like it's taking helps you to believe the gradual uh, romance that they fall into mm. do you know what I mean it mm-hmm. doesn't feel quite so sudden as it otherwise might mm. and so by the time that they kiss and uh, have sex in the car I, I believed they got to this point emotionally do you know what I mean mm. and I think that the slowness helps that do you think it's a noir? Uh, yeah, I do. These guys are fated to die. There's no. I explain. remember um, my colleague Victor had this thing about, you know, so there are femme fatales and then there are unwitting femme fatales, women who end up causing men's death even though they don't necessarily right. mean to. You know, and I thought this was one of those instances, you know, because the film goes out of its way to register... You know, I hesitate to use the word uppity because it has such connotations. But there is a sense in which kind of part of the reason why the cop is reacting the way that he is, is, you know, she's a hotshot lawyer and she's behaving like a hotshot lawyer and she's forgetting that she's also a black woman. Something that Slim is constantly reminding her of. Yeah, like, you know, we're black, it's a cop. Yeah, there's all these dangers. Yeah. yeah, and and you do have these really interesting moments of tension. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he, later on, of course, the mechanic says, I, "I wouldn't have shot the fucking guy. I wouldn't have caught a fire. I would have just accepted my ticket and shut the fuck up and gone home." Yeah, you know. And you do feel that it's her causing all of that. Yeah, she's the one who slightly wants to make a bit more of it than yeah. Than he, it is. But uh, but the, the cop is um, the aggressor. You no, know, it's true. Looking for and it. he kills her. But that whole dynamic in the car at the beginning is very interesting. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think it's a really brilliantly put together scene. Yeah. And she is the cause of all of it. I mean, she's the one who takes his phone, you know, which makes him cause the swerve, mm. you know, and yeah, she's the one who answers back, who insists on their rights, like, mm. you know, kind of, it's very, it's very interestingly done. Although then, of course, it turns into a real love story as well. But there are those kind of elements of it, which are very interesting, I think. And uh, I thought it was such a romantic ending, really. It's a very romantic ending. Yeah, in the, in the most heartbreaking way. It's a be- very beautiful ending. It couldn't, it couldn't have ended almost any other way, really. You know, but uh, the way that it's done, you know, where her being shot first and him picking her up and then kind of, you know, them falling together, I thought it was, mm. it was very romantic. What, what a response from him. That's what I didn't sort of see. I knew, I knew they had to die. But the, the way it happens and his... What he does with her body, I didn't. I couldn't have come up with that, no. you know, because because there's no reason for him to do that, right? There's no logical reason for him to do that. Well, defiance, and also like that they're in it together, you know. Yeah, but it's just because yeah. there is also that element from double indemnity, like to the end of the line, yeah, which they kind of have that little speech at the beginning. Yeah, but it's um, just like it's a shock emotional reaction that she's the only thing he has left. Or I don't know. And I I, I, he's so wonderful. He always looks like he's crying, Daniel Kaluuya. He's got this redness in his eyes yes. all the time. Yes, he does. You know, when, when she said at the start, she picked him on Tinder because he, he, he looks sad. He thought, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> Poor guy, but I know what you mean. Um, all through the beginning, I thought, they're not being well lit, right? Like, there's all those things about, you know, black skin needing more light, and they weren't being offered it, really. Well, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? I think we've, we've read a couple of articles uh, by people who... Uh, have been making films and TV programs uh, that star black people in dark places like clubs or at night and that mm. kind of thing. And they talk about 
they talk about needing, um, if not more light, because you can't necessarily get it really in those situations, but but ways to make their skin more reflective. And uh, you know, I can see elements of that here. You, some, you do get that there was one scene where she, it's where she's getting her hair cut, and I always that thing of like you know moonlight. Black people look blue in the moonlight was the thing, I think mm. the original title of mm. the play that was based on, and you see it in that scene, you know, her face mm. and, and it kind of her face does light up so beautifully there. Mm. So sometimes it's really beautiful and expressive, and you see things clearly. Other times not so much. But I didn't necessarily think that was a problem. I didn't have quite have a problem with it. I know what you mean about it occasionally looking like it's out of focus or slightly blurry, but I think everything there is a choice, and I think it's I think it's trying to evoke a tone and almost an era I mean it's set in the modern day but there are times when it feels like it's the 70s yes yes one of the reasons is they let go of their mobile phones so yeah. you know um, and they drive a classic Cadillac yes but also I don't know there's something about the landscape as well you know the graffiti the run down towns you know it really speaks of an America again I've, I think I've said this before where Everything natural is beautiful, and everything that's man's put into nature looks <laughs> run down, rusty, deserted. Yeah, like mm. that's the kind of America that they go through. And it's quite a lot because it begins in, is it Ohio or? Uh, I think, do they mention Ohio? I'm sure they mention Ohio. Um, um, and they wind up in Kentucky early on, and, and then, then they, they go, go down to Louisiana and New Louisiana, Orleans. Louisiana, yeah, and then they end up in Florida. So they go through all of the South, yeah. right? Which is, you know, again, significant, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's interesting that Cuba is posited as a place of protection. You know, of course, in spite of the embargo and, you know, all of those problems. And of course, they never reach Cuba. But, you know, kind of reaching Cuba in this film is like reaching Canada in an Underground Railroad film, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and they do mention, as I say, Asada Shakur, who that's where she fled, and she was a uh, she was convicted of killing a cop. Mm. I think she was a Black Panther, right? Um, and she fled there. Although I think she yeah, she maintains her innocence and so on. I remember hearing about this a few years ago because the rapper Common was invited to the White House under Obama, and then Fox News went, but he loves Asada Shakur, a cop killer, and then they started a whole fucking thing about it. Mm. Anyway, I remember that. So that's kind of where I learned about her a little bit mm. um, so I think that that's a strong association I, think, mm. I mean that's, that's, not, that's a name that black Americans will be very familiar with I think mm. um, so it's directed by Melina Matsukas whom I've never heard of before and whom I believe this is the first film this is her first feature she's done lots of ads and music videos and music videos and a few episodes of TV yeah so it's a very very impressive uh, first film I think do you have any idea how much it cost and uh, yes I do According to the Wikipedia, which is gets its figure from Deadline Hollywood, uh, seventeen to twenty million dollars it cost. Yeah, and it's already made forty-five. Yes, so it's a hit, uh, and I'm glad it deserves to be a hit. Yeah. I wonder if we could think a little bit about uh, religion and faith in the film, because this is something that if I think it's really front and center in the slim character, he believes in God and he talks about it quite a bit and he talks about destiny and faith and then also in the in the um, he, he wears a, a cross around his neck and then in the Cadillac that they get from Uncle Earl yeah there's a uh, the rosary yeah there's a rosary and a cross hanging from the rearview mirror and it is there all the time and it's you can't miss yeah. you know it's framed front and centre quite a bit yes and he's made to be you never are we told what he does for a living 
I mean, oh, he's got Nike. Uh, no, he works at Costco. He oh. says at the start that the, the woman comes to my queue, he says, all the oh, time. okay, yes. And I give her my discount. Right. And, but, you know, it's also articulated that he doesn't, he doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an upstanding kind of Christian. And really then, she who appears to be upper class, let's say, she's a lawyer, turns out, like, you know, her uncle's running a brothel and mm-hmm. with, with the, that beautiful transgender person from Pose. I forget what her name is. The one who did the, the hair. Mm. You know? I don't, do you want to find out? No. Yeah, find out, because actually, I think she was on the cover of Vogue and everything. She's incredibly beautiful. India Moore? Yes, I think so. She plays goddess in this. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't have a, a, a... I don't really have a good read in this, but I think it's something that I need to basically think about taking more seriously, because it reminded me of Harriet. Uh, which oh, is right. another black story, right? And that's a story in which faith, again, is incredibly important. I hated that film. I know, we both didn't like it, but... Oh. <laughs> um, but the point is that faith is really important to that story, and there's a whole thing about Harriet Tubman believing that her visions were visions from God, and that's what... Well, the problem wasn't uh, Harriet Tubman believing, as the film acting as if they were real. Right? But, <laughs> like I think, I, but I think that's uh, kind of... Like, the thing is, we you never see... You almost never see devoutly religious film in that film that actually supposes... God really exists mm. and, and religion is real. Outside of horror, really, like horror, you'll get like the devil is after you. Yes. But apart from that, you don't really get it. What you get is films about religious people or about religion and it's about their beliefs, but the films never never actually say, you know, okay, we're going to suppose a yes. priori that God exists and ha- well, now because, has. You know, then there would be like a stupid narrative. Like, you know, you could change direction, like. Uh, Every well, time you wanted to, and just say it was God's will. <laughs> that was the Harriet Topman um, way of doing it. Sorry, maybe, maybe not, but but I, but I think it's it is something to be taken seriously because I don't think it's a coincidence that these two films are about black people, are black uh-huh. Americans, and that faith is kind of important to them. Because I mean, I'm, I'm you know I'm sure I could be corrected here, but I it's not saying that I associate so much with films about white people or or Asian or Chinese or anything like that. Like it, it seems to be something that is located specifically in Black American experience. The, well, the place of the church importance of the church belief in God. Yeah, um, I think it seems to be of particular importance and significance and resonance in Black America and Black American cinema, and it's something that I don't have a good read on, really. Well, I think, um, you know, the church has been a a prime site of community and resistance and struggle. So Mm. um, it's understandable that, you know, you often see churches. I mean, if you remember in Widows as well, like so much of it took place in the church and, um, you know, but the pastor or the preacher was corrupt and, you know, highly involved in politics and, you know, there was like this connection between the church and show business, but also community, you know, and politics, right? It's not as evident in this film. I think the, the kind of social side is not as evident, but the, but uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character's relationship to his religion is important to him, clearly. And they definitely played off each other because she says at one point she doesn't believe in God. But that's all you hear about it from her. But he continues to speak about praying or his belief that things are predestined um, yes. that 
I don't know. This is why I say I don't have a very good reading it, but there, but there's definitely something. It's definitely important to the film. Okay, I didn't feel it as strongly as you did. I mean, I think it's referenced, but it's not made an issue of. It's not, you know, repeated or given a centrality. And even the moment where they say grace before dinner, it's... Um, I think that becomes important because she says, can I lead it? And that's a moment, I think, between the two. Yeah, but her moment is to say, like, thank you for now, right? So it becomes almost like a kind of a Buddhist prayer in the middle, <laughs> you know, of what should be a Christian thing. I mean, it's just... I didn't, I didn't read a religious significance into it. I read an expression of her feelings for him and for their experience so far and how they might be about to die but it hasn't been in vain that the journey has been worth it right but i didn't read a re- well i think yes i don't know i don't think it's religious significance like i said these films don't tend to say okay god is actually real and now let's go when religion is when religion and faith are invoked they're done so to inform the characters what are the characters beliefs and what are the characters relationships and so you know the reason that I think that's important is not because she has sort of found religion or that there might be something real to it, but it's it's that from saying from starting off with, um, I mean the the film opens on him getting his food at the diner and praying, and she's looking around going, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" That's the opening of the film. And oh, then, that hadn't registered. I just remembered it, <laughs> but then you get to the dinner scene later on, and she asks to start the prayer, not just participate. You know, it's true. So but, it's about their relationship. But let's not make. I mean. So I don't want to contradict or deny that religion might have a significance, mm. right? But also, I think it is, you know, there's no reference to it in like 99% of the film. Okay, yeah. we can agree to disagree on that. Well, I, I, do, I do think it's central. As I said, I think it's central. I think, you know, he brings it up quite a bit. There are these motifs and the, the framing of the cross around his neck and the cross in the car are central to the images that they appear in. You know, hmm. Well, I didn't experience it that way, so fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And it has a very important scene uh, about black people's hair, which is something that we've seen before. Which is something that I don't think I'll ever really have a good handle on. Right. <laughs> remember, remember, we had a similar scene in If Bill Street Could Talk, yes. where she puts that wig on, yes. or decides, well, am I going to wear it or not? And in here, you have the thing about shaving his head, and then her saying, "No way!" And of course, she. Hmm. she does in the end and it's a scene that I think they're intercut and you see the girl undoing her braids and Mm. it's it's something delicate and tender about it It matters you know there's a whole discussion on hair in Mm. fact uh, when they discuss what's that singer's name very smooth um, very popular in the 80s and they say he's the only one that could rock a jerry curl and a three piece suit and you know oh right I don't remember Um, so I'll kill myself for not remembering his name um, Morris Day? No, Prince? it's on the tip of my tongue. Not Al. Um, he was the big fat man. He also kind of, you know, was a backup singer. And um, Luther Vandross. Luther Vandross, of course, yeah. Okay. Thin or fat Luther Vandross, they say. Yes. <laughs> right. I suppose the only thing that I, I want to underline is that the film is giving voice to so many of the struggles that we've seen in the news in the last 10 years, you know, particularly like Black Lives Matter, particularly all the information about the percentage of black men in jail, the police brutality, 
you know, the jails being used as sites of slave labour for black people predominantly. Yeah, uh, uh, 13th, which I referenced in the last podcast on Netflix, that's right. all about that, and Ex- it's brilliant. Exactly. So, you know, the film focuses on this relationship, and on being on the run, and on being on the road, but actually it's threaded through with this expression of all of those struggles. And I think it's a, it's an important film. I think mm. as well as kind of, you know, uh, being um, uh, an entertainment and moving one. I found it moving. Yeah, I agree. And I um. think it's a really confident film as well. Mm. I think uh, I, the slowness that I referred to, it takes confidence mm. to, to do that and to believe that you're not going to lose people's interest and that kind of thing. Yes. You know. um, and I certainly responded viscerally to quite a few moments, actually. Mm. So he um, definitely did. Yes. Yeah. You know, there are times when it built a bit of tension, and you're when he uh, she dislocates her shoulder. Yeah. He puts back in under threat of being heard by the cops. Yes. You were hand over your mouth at that point. Yes. Um, and also, you know, the moment where they jump out the window, and mm. you know, all of the beginning. I mean, I think it, it kind of it's very good. Um, it's funny of all the moments in cinema that that <laughs> that uh, make. The, that you think would make me go, oh, or ugh, like you very often respond to gore and things yeah. with a bit of a, ugh. Um, the only thing that's really made me respond like that in recent memory is them jumping out the window. Yes. And they don't even get hurt. Well, she just like, gets a shoulder. But they, <laughs> they don't get seriously hurt. Like you think they're going to break a leg or something. Mm. But I just thought, God, that's Because I can imagine jumping from that high. Yes, you exactly. Know, I can't imagine getting shot in the face. <laughs> well, you can't imagine being in the Avengers either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, this, yeah, it definitely elicited a response. So I think um, it's a it's a very very good film. Yes, um, so do I, and I highly recommend it. I can't think of another film like this actually. I can't think of a black romance, you know, that's also a, a road film, you know, that has all of these noirish elements, but then ends up also being a biting critique of American racism, you know. And for a film to do all of that is really quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's subtext informs everything and it's so strong and makes everything so fully realised and three-dimensional. Mm. The entire place that they're... The entire world that they're inhabiting, you understand everything about what these people are going through. Yes. And it's all... It's So much of it is done subtextually. It's very inclusive. Yeah, because, you know, she's a lawyer. He works at Costco. You know, the uncle runs a brothel in Mississippi... He's a former army person, you know, who's got contacts all over the place. When they go into that blues place, you see, you know, it's real down and outers, but also having a community that is inclusive. You know, I think, uh, you know, one of the people that you see is either a transgender person or a very feminine kind of gay male, you know. Um, So I do think it's inclusive, sexually inclusive uh, and also socially inclusive whilst nonetheless you know having a clear sense of the structural differences and inequalities between white and black people in america so um thank you very much for listening we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on apple podcasts uh, soundcloud spotify and youtube to listen to us on social media we're on facebook and twitter at eavesdrop movies the website is eavesdropping at the movies.com thank you very much Bye-bye.